Welcome to this podcast of sermons at CUNY United Methodist Church. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke, the sixth chapter. Jesus said, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive payment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to, uh, lend to sinners to receive as much again. Instead, love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he himself is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. May we receive a blessing in the hearing of these words. So we have been in this worship series called Everybody Tell Somebody. This is the last week of this five-week series. We started with hearing that great commission where Jesus says, as you go about the entirety of your life, make disciples with the entirety of your life. And then we heard about how the good news is for everyone, everyone, all nations, all races, all people. We heard about that we are sent to where people are, that where they are in their, in their lives um, and what is unique about them. We heard about how the world needs the good news and that it really is good news. It is not just a secret handshake out of hell. Um, but that it is good news that affects our lives right now. And today, we are hearing about tell somebody with a life of love. Perhaps some of you have heard this quote um, attributed to St. Francis, preach always, preach the gospel at all times, and if, uh, use words if necessary. It wasn't in English. So there's, the translations are a little different. Preach the gospel at all times, use words, if necessary. It's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Assisi is in central Italy, north of Rome. Uh, St. Francis lived in the 12th century. He died in 1226. So 1226 was during the Middle Ages after the Great Schism when the Eastern and Western Christian Church split apart, but before the Reformation when the Western Church split apart. Many people love this saying. It does speak to the need for action, but I think they also hear behind it, woohoo, no talking. (laughs) I don't have to speak. Um, Historians tell us St. Francis probably never said this, but what he did say was it's no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is in our preaching. 
So he was itinerant. He went around and preached. He came from a wealthy family. He rejected that inheritance. He didn't take that inheritance. And he spent his life living with the poor and the outcast in poverty himself. He lived a life where what he said and his actions were in alignment. And so his message is that what we say must be in alignment with what we do. That is integrity. I recently was talking to a lifelong Methodist, and she said, we are do-gooders. So there is, um, deep in the Methodist uh, DNA, an, an awareness of the need to serve. And that we, that our actions matter. Although I wonder if some really are thinking, woohoo, I don't have to talk. Talk about Jesus. Talk about faith. Our actions do reveal the truth. They reveal our truth. And the words that Randall shared with us from Luke's gospel t- tell that to us. It's about actions and what our actions do. Actions matter. Context also matters. Context is where you say it and how you say it. We can have the same words um, spoken differently. I'll always find you. Or I will always find you. Fonts matter. Tone of voice matters. Context matters. Who remembers the WWJD? That was a while ago. Um, stands for What Would Jesus Do? It became popular in the 1990s in church youth groups. And this What Would Jesus Do? is, is an essential calling. When so many of us have been told um, that what we need to do is believe in God and assent to truth. Well, that's all kind of head stuff. That's all inside stuff. And this was a real push out about actions. What would Jesus do? It was a call not only to action, but to model our lives after Jesus, which is all throughout the Gospels. I loved this. What would Jesus do? This, this push to, to model my life after Jesus. And I had a cross that said WWJD. And then I went to a workshop by Jerry Goebel. And he said, I don't like that. What would Jesus do? And I thought, what? He said, it's easy to do what Jesus would do when you're not where Jesus would be. It's easy to love others when you're hanging around people who love you. It's easy to do good to others when you're hanging around people who are good to you. It's easy to lend when you're pretty sure that you're going to be repaid. He said, I much prefer where would Jesus be. Perhaps you've heard the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's from the Gospel of Luke. It's actually the verse right before the reading that Randall shared with us. And when we hear that, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, sometimes we twist it around. Do unto others the way they have done to you. And now it becomes about reciprocity. 
And reciprocity, basic reciprocity in, in relationships is valid and good. That social reciprocity. When people are good to you, then you are good back to them and it builds social cohesion. But what Jesus is calling us to is something beyond reciprocity. He's calling us to love our enemies. Well, enemies haven't been good to us, and yet we are to be good to them. Jesus is sending us to those who cannot repay our goodness. So he's calling us beyond reciprocity. He's actually calling us to treat others not the way they've treated us, but to treat others the way God treats them. To treat others the way God treats us. God loves us even when we reject God. God is good to us even when we cannot repay. And so, we go to where Jesus would be. And that means outside our comfort zone. If we're going to go be where Jesus would be, chances are it's going to be a place that is not comfortable. It's comfortable to be around people who love us. It's comfortable comfortable to be around people who do good to us. It's comfortable to be around people of the same socioeconomic status. But Jesus sends us to where we are uncomfortable. He says, go there. Go to people who are different, who have different ideology, who speak a different language, who have a different way of living, who are a different race. Go to where you are uncomfortable. Love those people. Be good to those people. And we will know that we are doing this well, that we are loving like Jesus loved, that we have put ourselves where Jesus would be when we start suffering like Jesus suffered. There's a beautiful quote in Brothers Karamazov by Fedor Dostoevsky, and it says, Love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. This was one of Dorothy Day's favorite quotes, has stayed with me for years. Dorothy Day also lived a life in solidarity with the poor. Love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. I want love to be butterflies and rainbows. You know what I'm saying? I want it to be happy and comfortable. But what I have found is that real love, love that is beyond affection, love that is commitment, that can be kind of harsh and dreadful. When we go outside our comfort zone, when we put ourselves where Jesus would be and then we do what Jesus would do, that is uncomfortable and it is difficult. And it can be anxiety-provoking, and it can even be, lead to suffering. It can even lead to great suffering. It did for Christ. And then he says, do that and do not judge. Don't condemn. Forgive and give. Our actions reveal the truth of our words. And our context, where we place ourselves, it reveals our faith. Where would Jesus be? 
And it's one thing to say you're a follower of Christ, but it's another thing to share your story. And so this morning, Matt is going to share his story with us. It swivels, be careful. <laughs> you did? So, you um, grew up in South Dakota. Oh, you need the microphone. You're so good at this. Yes, I... <laughs> yes, I grew up in South Dakota. So, part of doing this is making friends with the microphone. Sorry. The right distance. The right distance. It's tricky. <laughs> um, and you grew up Lutheran in the church. And you've been with this church a year and a half? Am I remembering that right? Not quite a year. Okay. Not quite a year. He's looking at people who remember. <laughs> How long have we been here? <laughs> long enough that I ask you things like, would you share your story? <laughs> yeah. But not, not years and years. Do you have a, do you want him to just find it and then you adjust the sound? So just hold it test, where you're going to hold it, test, and then they'll adjust it. Test, one, two, three. <laughs> test. Is that so good? tell us, when did you first hear about Jesus, and what was your first impression? Maybe this part will reach out to some youth, too. But, um, so I had to write some stuff down to kind of guide me. Um, when I first heard about Jesus, it was more or less the birth of Jesus. So Christmas time, where we would sit around the Christmas tree with gifts under it, under it, and my parents would sit and read the Christmas story about the birth of Jesus. So what could I say that was associated with was gifts. Oh, well, he was born. He, all right. There's some gifts under the tree. All right. This is not so bad. Um, I was young, but it's also, that was the impression, right? But would you say, how could a young person correlate four months later when you have the death of Christ? That was the confusing part for me. He was born, and then four months later, death. So there's a confusion time, too. So I would probably reach out and ask why. Um, the following of Christ, um, from younger years up to high school years, was filled with BBS opportunities. Going out to uh, a reservation in South Dakota to help instruct BBS. So that was a lot of serving, and that was waking up a little bit of my interaction with Christ. But BBS wasn't all about just Jesus. They were teaching Old Testament stories as well. So the, it was a lot of Old Testament lessons throughout the year of church. And then in high school, was more reaching out in um, going on youth trips. And the youth trips not only were just for myself, but they were for me being a counselor in training, where I wasn't the student anymore. I was becoming a teacher. Then what really opened up my following in 
Christ was Teens Encounter Christ. That was mid-90s, late-90s, and youth groups or big national youth conventions. Mm. Like, the, like thousands of kids, Correct. those huge ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was, I was a student again. I wasn't really a leader, but the Teens Encounter Christ was more important in my growing up to follow Jesus. So what was, I haven't heard of Teens Encounter Christ. What was that like, and how is that meaningful to you? They focused definitely on uh, fellowship of the, the students there, and it was overnight group activities where we sat down and discussed our life journey mm-hmm. uh, from our growing up years to what we're suffering through as high schoolers, and not necessarily focusing on the future, but focusing on your connection. So those were really big moments of, WWJD, uh, Shine Jesus Shine. So I think we hit all those this morning. <laughs> so it put in a lot of thought process and what am I, what am I, how can I associate more of these, these thoughts with, with what I have written down? So I apologize for the little confusing things. But they focused on uh, reaching out to mentors, reaching out to those who also care for you, not just grandparents, but maybe some aunts and uncles. And prayer. and prayer. So why do you belong to this church? Hmm. Uh, again, it's the journey through life and what I want and what Lynette and I want to have for our children in coming to a church that how y- these stories are presented from a pastor or how our congregation comes together to form a family. Mm-hmm. So it's that family, that sense of family and belonging and yes. connectedness. Yes. What do you think God is teaching you about discipleship right now? I think God is bringing more of that being a parent, that we are, again, it's the family, it's being part of the community and stepping up, volunteering, and coming into the church and showing our kids this is, this is a path. This is what we can lead to uh, for down the road. Well, thank you. I have just one more thing. All right. Sorry. And this probably leads out to discipleship and... And mentors, or those that are seeking mentorship. It, this is from First Peter chapter five, and I'm going to start off with uh, verse two: "Be shepherds of God's flock, that is under your care, Sorry. serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over." those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory and will never, and it will never fade away. Thank you. And that just reaches out to my past mentors, but me being a mentor down the road. Thank you.
The stories of others reveal our discipleship and our own stories. As mentors and role models, as we model our own lives after Christ and we look at those that we admire, that we are sent to love like Jesus loved, which means we go to where Jesus would be, loving our enemies and doing good. And when we do that, it changes our perspective. It changes our perspective from, um, you know, only the things that we can see to really being able to see from others' perspectives. And this is especially important when we're serving those in need because we can be so aware of our own service that we don't really see from the perspective of those in need and how that interacts with their life. And I will tell you, I bump up against this regularly. As a parent of children with special needs and mental illness, I do a lot of filling out papers and going to meetings and um, doing all these things to get services that my kids need. And often, not always, but often, I'm with people and all they know is their little service. And I have to, you know, we have to do these things to fill out their paperwork and then the service, you know, and then they deliver the service. Or they don't. You can still do all the paperwork. Um, but, but rarely um, do I run across people that are really seeing from the perspective of the one in need. And it was, this, I mean, just this week. I had a meeting with the case manager because we need some things done. Barely said hello. And then we spent 15 minutes while I answered questions that I've already answered over and over and over while they get their paperwork filled out. That's a perspective of the person who says, this is my little world and this is my service and we're going to do things from my perspective. It's not coming from the perspective of people who live with special needs kids and live with people with mental illness who need help. So when we put ourselves where Jesus would be, we start seeing from the perspective of those we serve. And then our service changes. It changes because now it becomes relational and is fundamentally about relationship. Hunger is a big problem here in CUNA, and it has been for a long time. We've been responding for a long time. The CUNA Community Food Bank started here decades ago. We um, house, we host the CUNA Community Food Bank in our basement. We have uh, food bank Sundays where we donate food. We have you know, members of our congregation who volunteer, and the need continues to grow. I'm told the food orders are up 30% this year over last year. That's a huge increase. And we host the food drive, which is the primary way most of the food gets into the food bank. Two years ago, uh, we collected 35,000 pounds of food. That was a lot. Last year, 50,000 pounds. This year, because of that growing need, they're hoping for 80,000 pounds of food. Because that's the need. That 50,000 that was donated last November, they were out of that by June. They no longer have any of it now. And as we look forward to the food drive November 4th, 
that, and, the, and setting that goal higher, um, we're looking at the way that food drive operates in our community. Initially, the food drive started as scouting for food, and then that shifted um, into a city-wide event where there are scouting troops that go out and hang door hangers and then go back and pick up food off of people's um, doorstep. But there's churches that have put teams together, and there's community groups that have put teams together and go out and do these. And the food all comes here, and it gets sorted here and then put away, uh, you know, in a way that, that, that will be used for the following year. And so this year we're looking at can this church, in addition to hosting and in addition to feeding volunteers, where there will be people here, like I think they're going to do chili or something to get people fed afterwards, can we put some groups together? So get um, small groups together, go hang door hangers, and then a week later, go back and pick up the food. I emailed our small groups um, as an invitation if, this, if any of our small groups wanted to work together because they already know each other and have that cohesion. Um, the groups will not be given any more, like, you know, houses to distribute to. I mean, the, the, house, the number of houses that they'll be asked to do will match the group size. Um, and if, as we're putting those groups together out of this church, if you're interested in being part of that and you're not part of a small group, we have a sign-up sheet in the back. Um, this, we're talking about the food drive, so just hang on to that for just a minute. So if you want to be part of that food drive and join a group, hanging door, doing door hangers and gathering food, you can uh, sign up back there. We'll put a group together. You'll be assigned um, addresses based on, on your group size. Where you go hang them up and bring it back. And then if you'd like to stay and sort, the sorting is a big job. Although it's amazing how quickly it goes. It is so well organized. People start picking up food at 9. They're here by 10, 10, 30. We're done by 12. It's amazing. Um, so well organized. And then we eat. Woohoo! <laughs> Eating is fun. So this is something we have done in this church. We have responded to hunger by feeding people, by giving people food. But when we shift our perspective from we have food to give away to the perspective of the people who come, we start asking questions like, why are food orders up 30%? We start asking questions like, why are people hungry in CUNA at all? I was talking uh, with a person who was involved in the food bank a while back, and, and they were you know, talking about the service of, of, of giving food out. And um, as we were talking about asking the questions, not just giving people food, but asking the questions, why are people hungry? And then are there things that can be done you know, that remove that, that for, that what drives people into hunger? They said, well, you mean like um, we should encourage them to get better education so they can get better jobs? And that's good. That's helpful. Um, it does sort of, it's based on the assumption that um, hunger is caused exclusively by people's personal choices. Sometimes it is. You know, some of us don't adult well. And we need encouragement and we need education. Some people have invisible disabilities that make adulting something that is just never going to work for them. 
But you know what? We have not had a growth of 30% in this community in the last year, which means we have people coming to the food bank today needing food who didn't need it a year ago. That's not about education. What has happened? Those are questions that drive us into thinking about the perspective of need and looking at what are those forces pushing people into hunger and what can we do to remove those forces. What a beautiful thing if we were so successful removing the things that drive people to hunger that we no longer needed a food bank. That's kingdom of God work. And our church is going to be going through a, a discernment in the next year. Because that CUNY Community Food Bank that started here and has grown is actually moving out of our basement. They're building a building on the other side of our parking lot. And our basement will be available, open, an asset for us at the service of our community. And so faithfully, we will begin by looking at the needs of the community, by doing research, by putting a team of putting a team together and interviewing people all over the city about what they see, doing sociological and demographic research to better understand what are the needs of this community. We have another church who wants to join us in that. So if that's something, a team you're interested in serving on, stay tuned, that'll be coming together. And after we understand the need, after we can see from the perspective of those in need, then we will look at the giftedness that God has, has gifted this church with and how we are called to respond faithfully. And so in faith, telling somebody with a life of love we put ourselves where Jesus would be. We put ourselves outside of our comfort zone so that we can have a perspective that is different than our own. And we do it because it is faithful. Because it is a life of discipleship. Because that is living a life worth sharing. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, you give us a faith that matters. You give us a faith that is good news in our own lives and is good news for the world. Lord, you call us to live. Live out our kingdom citizenship. Citizens of your kingdom of heaven. And we do that, Lord, by following you. By following after mentors who lead us to you. By attending to our faith today and now. And to sharing that faith with others. Lord, we ask you to fill us with hunger for you. Fill us with hunger to serve your community. And Lord, bring us closer to you day by day. We pray this all in your holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast is preached almost always by our pastor, Reverend Mia Crosswaite. CUNY United Methodist Church is a community on a mission to make disciples for the transformation of the world. To support this podcast and the missional priorities of this church, go to cunaumc.org and click on Give. 
Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you things.